Does the Bible teach a flat earth? Today we're going to have uh, apologist J.P. Holding on the show to talk about the Bible and what it says or doesn't say about the shape of the earth. Welcome to the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. Welcome back. Yeah, like I said in the introduction, uh, we're going to have apologist JP Holding on the show. JP uh, is a well-known apologist. His website, tectonics.org, that's spelled T-E-K-O-N-I-C-S dot O-R-G. It's important to type in .org instead of .com. Otherwise, you're going to get some websites that uh, have nothing to do with Christianity. Uh, And so tectonics.org, J.P. Holding, author of several uh, interesting looking books. We're going to be talking to him a little bit later in the podcast about these books. But today we want to talk to J.P. about this flat earth idea. I came into contact with some of his articles on Answers in Genesis. Um, he was refuting a, an a, a evangelical named Paul Seeley, who wrote several articles uh, and has spoken on the fact that he believes the Bible teaches a flat earth. Now, uh, many of the arguments that were found within these arguments are the uh, these articles are also found within the flat earth movement. And so today we're going to be talking to JP about what does the Bible say? Does the Bible say the earth is flat? Does the Bible indicate the earth is a sphere? Does the Bible really say much of anything specifically about the shape of the earth? And so uh, let's just jump right in. JP, welcome to the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. Thanks. I'm glad to, glad to be here with you. And I do have a special heart for youth and apologetics uh, I have a local ministry partner, uh, I, who have a what we call a youth politics boot camp that we're putting together. And okay. uh, as soon as we get a few more, a little more time, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna be out there trying to try it out a few places. Oh wow, wow! Let me know when you get that together, and if you're coming up this way, well, wherever you're going, let me know, and I'll let people know about it. I appreciate that. Appreciate oh, absolutely. That. And uh, yeah, it, it's an honor to have you on the show. Now, last week, I had the opportunity, the blessing of speaking with Dr. Jason Lyle of the Institute of Creation Research, and we started on this subject. We started talking about uh, this new movement that really, it, it, it feels like it just popped up out of the dirt. I mean, it just came out of nowhere uh, that uh, the earth is flat, uh, an idea basically that the Earth is a flat disk, uh, kind of like if you're looking at a clock, and the outer edge of the clock is this ice shelf, this ice wall that surrounds the map of the world, and um, there is this solid dome firmament that covers the world, and it's solid, and uh, the stars, they're not far away, they're actually pretty close, they're small, and they're set in this hard firmament, um, and 
okay, uh, let's see, am I missing something? The earth is immovable. Uh, these types of things, which totally caught me off guard. When I first heard this movement, I didn't want to take it serious. I kept getting questions. I didn't know what to do with it. And finally, I decided, you know what? I need to jump right in. People kept sending me videos, so I started watching the videos, and I realized, wow, this movement is really growing. Something's got to be done. And uh, so last week, we started on this. We just barely touched on some scriptures. We mainly focused, as you would guess, with Dr. Jason Lau. We spent most of the time uh, talking science and how science shows that the earth is definitely not flat. Well, there are many arguments coming from this camp concerning the scriptures that uh, at first blush, they look pretty sophisticated. They seem like they actually could hold some water. So friends today, JP and I are going to be talking about those scriptures. So um, I guess just to start off, when did you, you've got several articles on answers in Genesis on this subject. When did you hear about this movement? Okay, well, of course, uh, you realize that uh, Answers in Genesis is split into two parts, uh, Answers in Genesis and Creation Ministries International. And uh, both of my articles appear on both of their websites. Uh, I wrote them back when it was just Answers in Genesis, the first, the first couple. Uh, they call on me uh, to write a, a response to a fellow named Paul Seeley, who had written an, uh, articles claiming that the Bible taught that the earth was flat and that the sky was a solid dome. And that was actually the very first article I ever wrote for any magazine. Uh, I'd gotten an email from Dr. Jonathan Sarfati, who, who is a good friend of mine, and he asked if I would like to write articles for them. And I kept up with that uh, for a while, answering questions now and then. And then in more recent years, in just the last couple of years, 2013, uh, the Christian Research Journal had me write an article for them called The Legendary Flat Earth Bible. And now, uh, coming full circle, Creation Ministries International just had me write a book review of uh, Kyle Greenwood's uh, recent book on cosmology, which takes the same general approach Seeley did, which is that the, the uh, Bible teaches a flat earth, and, uh, and it's, therefore it's deficient in that regard. Uh, although Greenwood was much more, I would say, uh, sensible in the way he approached it than Seeley was. And so this has been a topic that I've been with and been dealing with for a long time. Um, it is not certainly a, a new idea, of course. You know, many people believe that ancient people thought the earth was flat, which in some cases was true. But uh, closer to modern times, I found in research for my articles, um, there's an author named Samuel Robotham in 1881 who wrote a book called Earth, Not a Globe. And then we get to the more modern times where we have the International Flat Earth Research Society, and a fellow named Charles K. Johnson. And so, yeah, they, yeah there's a certain uh, number of people who are still promoting this idea, and uh, I would say that the scriptures that are used to promote it really haven't changed. They're always the same. Uh, you come back to the same things over and over again. Right, and in many of your articles, you bring up the idea that um, the Bible uses equivocal language, in certain areas where it touches on uh, the shape of the earth, if you will. Uh, what did you right. mean by that? All right. Um, I'll, I'll use an illustration to explain what I mean. Uh, we have, I've come across critics who say that um, if Jesus really wanted to impress people and impress us, he should have spoken about redwood trees. And then <laughs> in here, we in the future would have uh, you know, seen that and gone, oh, wow, that's amazing proof, uh, you know, that, God is real. 
but you know, what these people don't realize is that if Jesus starts talking about redwood trees to these people, well, nobody's going to understand a word he's going to say, uh, and they're going to think he's crazy. And to us, it's a given. Redwood trees are for real. But if, if an ancient person, if Jesus talked about redwood trees, they would think he's out of his mind. In the same way, if Jesus had been teaching people that the earth was spherical, uh, rather than as whatever they believed at the time, mostly flat earth, then no one would have listened to him. They would have considered him insane. So you have a, a sort of a balance here between the power of the message and the truth of the message. How do you strike that balance? And my idea was that uh, God accommodated human finitude. He just he put in things that could be interpreted either way, that were not definitive language as to far as what the uh, Bible was actually teaching. And that was the view, as I uh, taught it originally for the, for the uh, creation, uh, excuse me, Answers in Genesis article. And I developed that a bit further for the Christian Research Journal more than a decade later, and it explained, explained it much the same way, that the difficulty was that God was dealing with people who had no concepts or no holding place for certain concepts, uh, like, a, like a spherical earth. And so the best way to keep from driving people away from the truth was, when it came to things like cosmology, keep your language simple and equivocal so that it could fix uh, any category of thought that someone might run into. Interesting. So you're not claiming that the Bible has scientific errors. You're just saying that they spoke in language and used words um, that could go in two different directions, maybe sphere, maybe circle. But it was spoken in such a way that, you know, hey, it, it could really go either way. Exactly. And I think that's really you know, the only option you would have had. Um, this is one of the mistakes I, I spoke of regarding uh, what Kyle Greenwood's book that I just wrote a review for. Um, he, he seems to believe that, for example, when Daniel was facing the king of Babylon, who was telling him about his dream and of a flat earth, that Daniel should have said, hey, hold on there, buddy. You know, the earth isn't flat. Let me tell you the truth. Now, but what's, what's Nebuchadnezzar going to think of that? He's not going to respect that. He, 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 all his Chaldean wise men say exactly the opposite. And he might have had some respect for Daniel, but that would have started things going downhill. And you know, there's, there's no need uh, for God to go out of his way uh, just to please people in the 21st century who uh, you know, can't just be satisfied with what they got. I mean, we are we are not we are not at the belly button of history, and that's what people who say make that kind of argument are saying. They're saying that God should have accommodated us at the expense of ancient people. And no, sorry, they 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 were around a lot longer time than we were. So, and we can make the adjustments a lot easier than they can. Okay, all right. So in that light, uh, the flat Earth movement they point out the word for permanent firmament in the Old Testament is rakia, uh, and they claim that it's a solid dome. Uh, to support that idea, they'll point at the fact that rakia comes from, and I'm probably going to botch this, but rikwa, I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing that right, which basically means beaten out. And they liken it to like beating out a brass bowl. Um, is that a valid uh, um, uh, comparison? Are they stretching uh, it, things? Uh, it's a yes and no. And here, this is a perfect example of what I'm talking about, where I say there simply wasn't any holding point in these, in these people's minds for what actually was there. 
uh, you know, we know that air isn't nothing. Air is actually composed of molecules and uh, you know, things, objects, what have you. you know, it, it's not solid, but there's something there. It's not. It's not just nothing. And at this stage of mankind's history, how in the world are you going to describe something like that? Uh, and they, that, that's, looking into that, uh, you know, Paul Seeley tried to come up with all kinds of things, that, all kinds of words he figures they should have used uh, in these contexts, and none of them were really satisfactory. I was able to take each one and twist it so that it taught a solid sky. <laughs> so you know, it all, it's, if you start with the assumption that you're going to find one, that's what you're going to find, uh, no matter what words the Bible uses. And certainly they didn't have the technical terms for oxygen, you know, <laughs> hydrogen, what have you. Uh, so, yeah, I thought that was the, you know, probably the best word that could have been used, but where they err is in assuming that, could, that it can only apply to metals, uh, whereas the implication is that some kind of stretched out or um, stretched out material. And if you really want to think, if you really want to, you know, consider the concept, yeah, you could describe air that way. You could say that's what it is. I mean, we're not talking about scientists here. We're talking about everyday Jews who you know, drink beer in the stands. What kind of word are they going to use? <laughs> um, and then there is this distinction made between the word rakia, which is translated heavens in Genesis chapter 1-8, uh, and uh, sh- uh, shamim. Oh, boy. How do you pronounce that? Yeah. I would Shema- know. Yeah. Shamayim. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, so there's a situation in Genesis 1-8 where Rakia is translated heavens, but in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 17, it said that the birds fly in the heavens. Okay, so we have a situation where the birds are flying in the firmament. But as you look a little deeper, you find in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 17, that word heavens is actually the Shamayin. And, well, what do you think? Do you think those arguments are solid? No pun intended. Well, here again, you know, you, you're, you're trying to apply modern technical ideas uh, to, the, to their particular terms. And you're trying to match, like, I think it's kind of fruitless to say what was, was the Shalayim, as you say. Was that the troposphere or was that the uh, uh, upper atmosphere? Let's, let's, not, let's not go there, okay? You know, we're, ta- we're talking about this, a very practical kind of classification system that they have they don't they don't need all they didn't need all these different words uh, like we do um what what you find though is that those two words are basically synonymous um if not you know some of a one-to-one correspondence and, and but they're probably it's probably we don't know the ex- exactly what the context for each one was probably they were each emphasizing a different aspect of of the, of the same phenomenon uh, but you can see, for example, if, when it speaks of birds, it says they fly on the face of or in front of the so-called solid dome. But they do fly, you know, in in the, the shamayim. So there's, that's obviously not something solid. So maybe you could say that rakia is something further up and shamayim is something further down, but we would say it's pretty much part of the same phenomenon. And, of course, you have, the question I asked long ago in that article was, where exactly does the sky start? You know, if right. you read the if you read the different uh, biblical texts, it seems like it starts. You know, Absalom is hanging in the tree in the sky. Okay, it's way down there, down by that tree. Or is that a very tall tree? I mean, what was it? Uh, or then you have um, some you know, angelic being that's uh, way up in the 
whatever it is, what that word is. So how <laughs> tall is he? And so, yeah, it, it, it's a, it's, from our perspective, it's a very vague concept. We can't press these things too far because, again, if they were just interested in a practical reference, they were not interested in being technically correct about what they said. And that doesn't, that doesn't mean it's an error, of course. I mean, we have to consider the audience that we're dealing with. And the illustration I have to use is you know, a rocket scientist is going to say that a rocket carries like 5.78 gallons of fuel in a certain area, whereas the guy who writes for the New York Times is going to say it carries five, carries six gallons. He's going to round it up. Right, is the New York Times guy wrong? No, because consider who he's writing for. Uh, right. And, okay, so what you're saying is that uh, from your perspective, Rakia and Shamayim, uh, you know, Rakia being the firmament, often translated thus, and then Shamayim, often translated heavens, are used synonymously? In good measure. I mean, you can find some distinctions made. But if, if, you, try mm. too hard, if you try too hard, you know, you're not going to be able to find it out. And they may not have bothered either. It may have depended on you know where it is, what what perspective you're what you're trying to describe and why. Um, if you press it too hard, you can come up with just about anything you want. Right, right. If you if you it's it's been said that if you torture the text long enough and hard enough, you can get about any confession out of it you want. Um, yeah. Yeah. So okay, what are the best arguments? for the idea that rakia really means a solid dome? I don't think any of them are any good, frankly. I think they all start with the presumption and then go from there. Probably the uh, semantic argument you gave at the very beginning is the absolute best that it gets to be. Um, I think that's where they all start with, which is, the, which is that it's related to words that have to do with solid things being hammered out. Okay, yep. And, and that's what I've found, too. Um, that, and of course, they'll point to, there is a passage in Job chapter 37. Um, it says, uh, 37, cha let me try that one again. Chapter 37, verse 18, it says, with him, have you spread out the skies strong as a cast metal mirror? Um, yeah. yeah, same thing. I mean, if you, you know, what, what point of reference do people, what people have to describe something like atmosphere? Or the air that's all around us. They, there simply aren't any. You know, ancient languages had maybe like a few thousand words in them. We've got millions of words. So how, how are you going to manage that in the ancient world? I came, I came across again the, the paragraph where you know, Paul Seeley made suggestions for what kind of word uh, God could have used. And you know, every time he used a word, um, what you find is that it involves a, an open space with barriers uh, on either side of it. So, oh, yeah, there you go. There's proof that the sky is solid. There you go. <laughs> so that doesn't really help. I mean, you, anyone who wants to be creative from the Flat Earth Society or what have you can, can be creative. Right. It, it seems like they've started with their conclusion that the earth must be flat and then have read it into the scriptures, uh, you know, ISO Jesus. They, they push their own ideas into the scripture and have been trying to make it say that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess, yeah, what, where you start. But that's, that's precisely the kind of thinking that I believe that the text was uh, inspired to diffuse. 
by being equivocal. The fact that both sides can find what they want in it tells you that that was the that was the intended design to make the language equivocal. Interesting. Okay, so you know it's almost bad news for both sides. You know, you want to yeah. prove a flat Earth from the scriptures, you're kind of hard pressed. Um, it, it's not really going to hold water. And conversely, if we if we really want to push it hard and prove a spherical Earth from the scriptures, and and Dr. Lyle he brought up a few points that I thought were well worth considering. I think they're pretty good. But you also have a hard time proving it from the scriptures as well. So you're almost stuck with uh, going back to, well, if, if the Bible doesn't teach a flat earth or a spherical earth, um, I guess we don't really have a problem, right? We, you know, right, right. there, there's it's not a, a, yeah, there's yeah, no, Bible, right. there's no specific teaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no Bible contradiction going on here. Uh, or we don't have to impose some kind of NASA conspiracy to cover up this. I mean, immense conspiracy i i don't even understand how you could keep that under wraps worldwide all of the yeah. all the captains of the ships all the airplanes uh pilots you know all the people from nasa all the other uh, uh space uh, exploration type things that are being done around the world uh, all the satellites everything that has to do with a spherical earth uh, you would have people all over the place figuring this out Oh yeah, it, it wouldn't just be a little fringe movement. So, um, okay. So another way that they will try to show the Earth is flat uh, is they will cite beliefs of Israel's neighbors. They'll be looking at uh, like ancient Near East texts to support their idea of a flat Earth. Uh, you know, they'll cite the, the neighbors and, and different belief systems of that day, and then for the most part, commit a genetic fa- uh, fallacy and try to say, well, Israel got their beliefs from them. Uh, therefore, Israel, uh, the, or, you know, the Hebrews must have been believing in a flat earth as well. Um, do you think this is a good idea? Well, um, yes and no again. Now, we can say, you know, if we ask the question, did Jeremiah believe that the earth was flat? Sure, why not? But that doesn't mean he was inspired to relate that particular truth. I'm sure Jeremiah believed in all kinds of things that we would have considered crazy. Uh, he may have believed in, in spontaneous generation, uh, just like many scientists did in the 17th, 16th century. But you know, are, are we going to hold that against him? As long as it's, it doesn't appear in the inspired text in an unequivocal way, it's not a problem what someone like Jeremiah may have believed about any particular thing that was incorrect. Uh, he may have believed that um, the sports team in the next city was the best team that ever existed. Well, so what? <laughs> I mean, that doesn't, that doesn't uh, make him erroneous when he's writing his book out. Uh, inspiration doesn't guarantee that uh, the you know, the people that God used uh, to pen the text were going to be right about every single possible thing. Okay. So I don't find that particularly persuasive. Right. Now, and I think this is... Uh, Okay, there's a list of scriptures throughout the Bible that describes the earth as immovable. Do you think that's equivocal language, or are you seeing that as saying something completely different and they're reading into the text something that's not there? Yeah, that's a little different. Uh, Here's how I answer that. Uh, Why don't you go outside right now and move the earth over a little bit? (laughs) (laughs) You think you can do 
that? No, you can't do it. Now, what they're doing is they're confusing immovable with unmoving. That's two right. different things. Uh, you know, if you really get desperate on this, yeah. When, when I was first, back when Jonathan Serpati first called me to write that article, uh, I had an atheist point to that one of those verses they said immovable, and I said, well, you know, you can't get out and move it. And they said, oh, yeah, you can. You know, when you jump up and down, you move the earth a very, very, very tiny amount. <laughs> Come on. We'd be so desperate. You know, that, that's how desperate some of these people can get. Mm. Uh, but, you know, you're certainly not going to move the earth out from its path. You're not going to take it any closer to the sun. You know, besides, you have people on the other side of the world who are pushing in the other direction. So... <laughs> that's, that's not going to help you either. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, they're, they're just confusing two different concepts when they make an appeal to that. Yes, yes, except for one person. There is one person that can move the earth. It has been said that Chuck Norris, when he does push-ups, he doesn't push himself up. He pushes the world down. Okay. But I'll, <laughs> sorry about that. Okay, anyway, oh, the Chuck Norris jokes. Um I've always seen that, you know, how I've dealt with this situation with an immovable uh, earth. You know, there's a scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Uh, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Same kind of idea. I mean, I'm constantly in movement, movement here. Um, is that is that a Bible contradiction? Is that a problem? Is that saying that I never move? I stay in my bed all day? I sure hope not. Precisely. Um, I think this is a good time before we get further into some of these passages that refer to the earth to discuss the, one of the concepts I came up with for the Christian Research Journal, which I actually hadn't come up with quite for Answers in Genesis all those years ago. Um I think that one of the major mistakes people make, and that includes these flat earthers when it comes to uh, interpreting these texts, is that they assume that when the Bible refers to, quote, earth, it means planetary earth. And after studying uh, all the texts in question, what I find is the word that is used there is never, with possible exception of in Genesis 1, that refers to dry land, never used to refer to planetary earth. Instead, every time uh, the text refers to earth, it's referring simply to land. And in many cases, that's just going to be like the land of Israel, or more broadly, just the land from you know, what we would say the continental area where Israel was. Um, so many of these texts that say that the earth is immovable, the earth is flat, or if, you know, if that's what they want to say, it, say it's saying, it, it's actually not referring to the whole planet. And... It was a long time before the planet Earth was called Earth as a planet. It was not until many you know, thousands of years later. In fact, about, yeah. So when you for the, one of the more popular ones is when it refers to the ends of the Earth. And yes. So that's very popular for saying, "Hey, that's a flat Earth." You know, that's the flat Earth Bible right there. Uh, but in, in the, in, when you check the context each time it refers to that, well, why doesn't that simply mean? You know, from one seashore to the other in the area where they're at. Um, you know, there's just simply, I, I, again and again, as I looked at each example, with the possible exception of Genesis 1, when it referred to the you know, dry land and the seas, uh, it seemed like it was referring to simply a limited area of land, not a planetary globe. In fact, Genesis, the reference in Genesis 1.10 sort of gives, gives the lie to all this because it made that differentiation between the dry land and the seas. And so if, if, this, if 
that word were referring to planetary Earth, then the seas would be inclusive of it, not considered separate from it. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And and there's times where uh, the Bible refers to the whole earth and um, also it's, it's referring more to a smaller area. You know, uh, uh, Jesus was taken up to a tall mountain and Satan showed him the whole earth. Yeah. And even in that particular case, I think either Matthew or Luke, one of the two, the specific word used uh, is oikumene, which means the Roman Empire. It doesn't mean the entire planet, even at that point. Oh, wow. Now, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, well. See, and I've I've seen that on uh, some Flat Earth websites. They're like, see, well, you can get up to a really tall mountain and you can see the whole yeah. Earth. Yeah, well, we're talking supernatural beings, too. <clears throat> I mean, they, they still have a little bit of an advantage. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. So, okay. Well, that's that's very fascinating. Another question, in Isaiah chapter 40, uh, there are some who believe it teaches a spherical earth. Uh, It says, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretch out the heavens like a curtain and spread them out like a tent to dwell in. Um, What is your opinion on that verse? Is that teaching a circular or, I mean, a, a flat disc or a spherical or neither? It's uh, it's compatible with any one of those, but if you take my view that uh, the word Earth doesn't refer to planetary Earth, you don't even get to that point. Um, and the word that says that's translated circle doesn't refer exclusively to a geometric shape we call a circle. It's uh, rather just a circuit, we might say, just a, something that starts in one place and goes around a circuit and comes back to the same place. Hmm. Uh, it, yeah, if you could say that you know, South and North America together are a circuit, it's a very long circuit, but that's 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 probably what it would have been called. So in my view, it doesn't matter whether that refers to a circuit. You know, that it, you don't even get into the issue of whether it's a flat, uh, something flat or something spherical, because there's no, it's not referring to the planetary Earth. Okay. Okay. Um, and that's interesting too about the circuit. That would, to me, and again, I don't think this is a, a rock solid slam dunk type argument, but it does sound like that would suggest a, 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 a sphere more than a circle. Um, but whatever the case, I've heard it argued, and I believe Seeley argues in his articles uh, that another word could have been used here uh, that basically means ball. And you yeah, address yeah. that when he articles. Yeah, I do address that in one of them. Uh, let's see, I even put that in here, I believe. Now, obviously, if you take my view, which it doesn't refer to planetary Earth, then it's irrelevant. <laughs> it doesn't matter uh, whether if there's another word for it, because that, w- that certainly would not have been applied to this circuit of land going around you know, from Israel, Africa, and whatnot. Now, the, word, the word that he used, you, let me see, let me call that back up again. It's uh, dur. He says, if Isaiah had intended to speak of the earth as a globe, he probably would have used the word he used uh, in 2218, dur, meaning ball. Yeah, what I found in that, I remember now, what I found in that particular instance, and I'm calling up some of this stuff after having not thought of it in a decade. um, (laughs) What I found in that particular instance was that that word seemed to imply something more like movement. 
it's used elsewhere in Isaiah 29.3, which says, And I will camp against thee round about, and will lay siege against thee with a mount, and I will raise forts against thee. Well, now, those soldiers are not going to camp in the shape of a sphere around the city. And so it seems to be more implying something circular that's, you know, moving around, uh, as opposed to referring to a specific geometric shape. Um, so I don't think I don't think that's as strong as Seeley thinks it is. You know, and believe it or not, though, um, because Seeley omits that part, that that word uh, "dur," if I'm even pronouncing it correctly, is used in Isaiah 29:3 uh, as you know this this ball or circle around a camp. He he doesn't even mention that, and that argument that that uh, Isaiah could have used the word "ball." you know, or, or how Seeley would translate it as ball has held a lot of weight to a lot of people. I've, I had a good friend of mine uh, bring that up uh, just last weekend. Um, and, and I actually was able, I just got done reading your article. So I brought up the fact that uh, it's used elsewhere as a circle. And, and that was a little shocking to him because he had not heard that because again, people don't bring up the, the, contradictions to their theory. They want so bad to read their theory into the Bible that they'll exclude things that damage that idea. So again, we're back to equivocal language. You really can't prove either way. Uh, again, I did, Dr. Jason Lyle brought up some great um, scriptures last week uh, that I think do hold some weight. But uh, so I, I do think that you can make a better case for a spherical earth from the Bible but really, you can't make a slam dunk case. And conversely, with a flat earth, you really, you can't. You can't make a case for a flat earth that really holds water uh, using the scriptures. So um, do you, can you think of any other scriptures that might indicate that the earth really is spherical? Um, I don't think any of that specific. And again, I, I, for me, there's a good reason for that, because you don't want uh, anything that's too clear on that subject. Um now I, I don't I don't think anything is that specific or that clear. I, I don't think so. Okay, you know, and I dealt with uh, something similar to this when I did a series on slavery. Uh, the Bible doesn't, like for example, Jesus doesn't specifically, explicitly denounce slavery. But when you read in the fine print of all the things he did and said, as well as his apostles, you start seeing that slavery is not acceptable, but it's not outright dealt with. And it was, I, I think, the same kind of idea in that culture. If he would have came out and flat out denounced it, uh, it would have tarnished his message enough to where things would have got a little messed up. Yeah, uh, I, agree, I agree. And I have an ebook on that subject. Uh, I saw that. Yeah, and yeah, that's the conclusion I arrived at too. Um, it's you know a, a you know Paul go down in the street and yells free the slaves. All he's going to get is a Roman spear in his gut. Um, <laughs> I like I like to make this comparison between uh, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and the different way they approached uh, social change. You know, on the one hand, you had Malcolm X in his early days who wanted to go you know punching people in the face and you know di you know just getting violent about it. You had Martin Luther King who tried to subtly undermine the things that people believe and sort of bring them to a different realization uh, by slowly bringing them along. And I think that's the way that Christianity changed people's minds about slavery, is by you know, 
when you look at Galatians, where it says, you know, there is no slave or free, and you don't realize how radical that was uh, in their context. Uh, that is the way I think that, that God changed the way people looked at slaves, by saying, well, this is your brother in Christ, and just left it that, and people had to work out the implications. There you go. I totally agree. And so I, I see where this idea of uh, Christ or any of the early prophets anywhere in the Old Testament, New Testament, if they would have flat out uh, called out the earth as spherical, I don't know. I, it, it might have been a little shattering in certain cultures, but again, I don't, you know, I don't see where it was. It was God's obligation to address this subject either way. So no. I, you know. So anyway, you know, I don't want to make a big deal of that. Uh, either way, there, there's just a lot of equivocal language that's used when you're talking about this stuff. And, you know, circle, sphere, all those words can be used either way. Um, so anyway, what about First Enoch? Um, I, I own, <laughs> I have a copy of the Book of Enoch. There's the first Book of Enoch and there's a second. The second Book of Enoch has been thoroughly destroyed and disproven. First Enoch is at least interesting, kind of provocative, but it seems to suggest that the earth is flat. And many of the flat, flat earth movement that is from the Christian standpoint will cite all kinds of stuff from the book of Enoch. What, what do you, what's your thought on that? Well, I mean, that's exactly an illustration of my point. Uh, we don't believe Enoch is inspired. And I think that shows what happens when you're not. You end up with explicit statements that the earth is flat. Now, I have to admit that I haven't read that in a long time, so I, I can't speak to that. Uh, but um, yeah, it, it, if it did, if, it, if that is what it refers to, that's preci that's precisely what I'm trying to say. Uh, so, in, we obviously we've shown that you really can't prove it either way using the scriptures. Unfortunately, I wish you could. I wish there was a slam dunk one way or the other. Um, so, if we're talking to friends and family, they're caught up in this movement. What would you say to try and persuade them uh, that the Earth is not flat? Well, I, I think uh, in, many, in many cases I would say the same thing as I said uh, in my Christian research journal about the, about the Zeitgeist movie, is the real problem you have is not making a refutation but convincing someone that a refutation has taken place. Um, if they're so tied up uh, to, to the notion that they might get into this mindset where they believe that if, if, you, if you try and disprove it to them, you're, you're part of the conspiracy. Uh, you can start by exposing them to some of these ideas, uh, use the Martin Luther King approach, just you know, slowly feed them these ideas, and maybe that's the best way to get someone out of it. Uh, but it, it's, there's no guarantee that any of that is going to work. When someone gets into a fanatical idea that is contrary to what everyone else believes, uh, even, you know, even people they agree with on all other points, uh, you're going to have a serious problem. Okay. Okay, and, you know, we can always take them to science and show them that, man, gosh, you can go out in your backyard with a telescope that you can buy at the store and see planets close by and watch them rotate. I mean, you can see them actually moving if you go out there every half hour and check again, check again, and you can see how they're actually moving. They're spinning. They're a ball. And... You know, I just don't understand if they are spherical. Why should why should we assume then that the Earth is flat? 
Um, but there's so much more. The fact that you can see stars in the northern, uh, uh, you know, near the North Pole that you cannot see from the South Pole. If the Earth was flat, you should be able to see them regardless of North or South Pole. You should be able to take a telescope and see those stars because it's a straight line if it's flat, yeah. right? Right? You should be able to see them all, but you can't. Uh, again, that is just really that is bona fide in your face, just obvious evidence that the Earth has to be spherical. Um, and there's so many more examples. So anyway, uh, going back to your books, uh, one that I thought looked fascinating that I'm probably going to end up picking up really soon, Shattering the Christ Myth. What is the Christ Myth? myth? What is that? Okay, well, first of all, you might want to wait because I'm in the process of revamping that one. Oh, uh, interesting, one okay. My, yeah, one of, my, one of my oldest books. I'm going to reissue it as a series of like four or five e-books. I've um, got the first one, almost, first one almost done, which is just about secular references to Jesus, like in Josephus and Tacitus, and my guest uh, writer of the Josephus chapter just needs to finish his. Um, the, the Christ myth, as I, as I describe it, is the idea that Jesus never even existed as a human being, let alone as a divine being. And we're talking about people like G.A. Wells and another fellow named Earl Doherty, who say that the Bible was teaching a, a Jesus that wasn't, in, in Paul's letters, a Jesus that was some kind of ethereal being who lived in the sky. And the Gospels, of course, are simply late legends that don't reflect any history. Um, at the time that I wrote that, uh, you know, Bart Ehrman hadn't written his book on that. Maurice Casey hadn't written his book on that. Uh, I felt that there was a full-length treatment needed of that concept, and I, I think we may have been the first ones to do it from the Christian perspective, uh, hmm. I and a few of the other guest writers. So, but yeah, a lot of that information though is not going to change. I mean, I, I have an ebook right now called "The Best Evidence for Jesus," and there's some updates to the Tacitus material and a couple other things. Uh, but in general, you know, if you wait around for that series to start, it, it could be starting pretty soon. Oh, very good. And that that best evidence for Jesus, I'm seeing that the Kindle edition edition is three ninety nine. Now that's off Amazon. Uh, is there a way to download it from your own website, uh, uh, tectonics dot no. dot org? org? <laughs> no, no, that don't have to be right off Kindle. That's the only way you can do that. And yeah, that's a good point to make. It's tectonics dot org. Uh, don't put in dot com because you'll end up with some guys who build bridges and they don't want to answer your questions about Jesus. <laughs> um, yeah, what other books have you written? You, you've got quite a few yeah, most here. Yeah, of course, they're all self-published. I've written for the Christian Research Journal and for uh, you know, the Creationist Ministries as well. Uh, but uh, e-books has really been my thing lately because the self-publishing gig is, um, you know, the, hard, the hardback books are starting to get kind of crusty. People are more interested in e-books they can take with them. I think the one I really like the best, and this one actually made it as far as the boardroom of a major publisher where they said, nah, no thanks, um, Hitler's Christianity. Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, yeah. The subject of what Hitler actually believed in terms of religion, and you have several different points of view that are all wrong. One that he was a Christian, two that he was an atheist, and three that he was into the occult. Those are all incorrect. Um, hmm. What what Hitler actually believed uh, was in a sort of like a cultic view of Jesus, in a sort of a, a cult religion of the time in Germany called Positive Christianity. 
And it was a view that uh, it was a, I believe, a type of Christianity that was completely emasculated of all Jewish elements, uh, edited out any Jewish elements in the New Testament and throughout the Old Testament entirely, uh, turned Jesus into the um, to the great Aryan superhero, the great German superhero, rather than being a Jew, um, and complete total emphasis on works uh, as an expression of salvation and very little concern for grace. Or faith. Okay, so, yeah, yeah, I was, I was really curious about that. If they had Jesus correct, as far as uh, soteriology, you know, how we get saved—is it by grace through faith or through our our own works? It, do they even have a concept of heaven and hell, and what would that look like? That that they have, to, they did have that. That that's not one of the major differences. Uh, and, and Hitler's Christianity is an example of the kind of things I like to do. You had all people with who wrote academic books on this subject. And it was these were full of information that the everyday Christian needed to answer this claim they were getting all the time that Hitler was a Christian. Mm-hmm. And so I sifted through these books and I you know, uh, put together all of you know into easy to understand language the most important points. And so you know, I have a chapter on uh, what positive Christianity was. I have a chapter on the idea of Hitler as an occultist. Uh, I have profiles of the major Nazi leaders and what they were, and uh, you know, from that you have several of them who follow the positive Christian model, and you have someone like Albert Speer, who's somewhat of an agnostic, uh, or, but, or a, a sort of a mild theist, uh, but you don't have any of them who could have been described as evangelical Christians. Right. Yeah. Um, that's fascinating. I, and I haven't heard that take before that I, I didn't even realize that I've always seen it as he was some type of um, uh, into the occult because I do see elements in his life and different things that he does. I, I know you don't understand exactly where I come from. I actually come from uh, a worldview of the occult. Uh, I spent many years of my life practicing uh, witchcraft and playing around with, with new age uh, ideas and I oh, okay. see a lot of uh, things that Hitler did and said that fit into that worldview very well. So when someone says he was into the occult, that always resonated very well with me. So now I'm going to have to pick up your your ebook to see that that side of things because, yeah, that that kind of caught me off guard. But okay, um, now like you said, your website tectonics.org, awesome site, has a lot of good articles. Uh, friends, if if you want to check out more of what uh, JP is doing, yeah, check out his site, tectonics.org. Now, something else that JP has been up to uh, is these videos on YouTube. What is up with that? <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm an amateur cartoonist, and um, I, only a few years ago I started thinking, you know, experimenting a bit to see if I could you know, make animated videos out of, out of these cartoons. Of course, they're not professional level. Uh, they're, uh, I have a friend who is an animator in Hollywood, and he, he compared them to the animation level of Speed Racer back in the 50s and 60s, which is just fine. <laughs> you know, that, yeah, yeah. You know, hey, hey, for what I'm doing, that's fine. Um, so, you know, I, I, I appear as a, as a cartoon character in those, and I uh, have a lot of recurring characters, and... Um, yeah, there's, there's a whole bunch of series. I just started a series called Lectures of Fundy the Clown, 
as by a clown who is a who doesn't realize he's wearing a clown outfit, and he teaches these ridiculous ideas that atheists I found teach out there, such as the idea that Joseph of Arimathea didn't actually exist. Oh. Uh, and of course, you probably saw I had I had some design on the uh, flat Earth idea. And the whole idea again here is what's tip what I typically like to do is try and put complex ideas into uh, a format that anyone can understand. And you know, using that as a, as a putting it in cartoon format is one ideal way to do it. Uh, I'm working on one right now. Uh, that's going to be the next one that's loaded, which is about the the Bible's uh, take on the ostrich as supposedly being incorrect. Hmm. And that's going to feature like a uh, a Steve Irwin kind of character who criticizes the Bible for being you know incorrect. <laughs> I, I like to do a lot of parodies. You'll see if you go to Tecton TV on YouTube. Uh, you can check out some of those. I see I have parodies like uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000, where where my characters will watch uh, lousy atheist videos and uh, and make cracks about them, just like <laughs> on Mystery Science Theater. And then there's another there's a fellow on there, uh, the guy he calls himself Laverne. I'm looking at what it is right now. He he believes that the Bible should include a lot more books than it does. And he believes in like Gnostic Gospels and stuff like that. So he runs this little business called Laverne Scripture You Pick and Pull, just like those places you go for the, um, you, know, you go to the, where they pick out the car parts. And so he says, come down here and pick out one of our books and stick it in your Bible, and that make it authoritative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the videos are pretty fun, and they do take uh, some pretty heavy material at times and break it down, uh, which is, that's, what I try to do with this ministry um, is take things that sometimes are a little bit complex and bring them down to everybody's level, you know, yes. anybody can get because boy, most of us are not as smart as you. <laughs> and so we've got to have things in a, in a more bite-sized format that we can pull it, you know, we can pull meaning from it and go, Oh, I get it now. Okay. So yeah. very cool. Well, JP, it has been an honor to have you on the show. Um, let me know when those Christ Myth books come out, because uh, I, I might try to con you into coming back on, and we can talk about them. Okay, that'd be good. Well, keep keep in touch with me. Uh, well, I I get about like thirty, forty emails a day. Uh, my mind is all over the place. So, but yeah, um, I'll try and keep that in mind. But you know, by all means, keep in touch too. And. Uh, uh, be glad to coordinate with you on certain projects too, since we're both have a heart for youth, and that would be a good thing. Amen. That's where, that's where it's needed. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Amen to that. Well, right on. Well, yeah. Thanks for coming on the show. You bet. Well, thank you very much. All right. So there you have it. Uh, that was again J.P. Holding. Uh, he's an apologist. You can find his website tectonics.org. T-E-K-O-N-I-C-S dot O-R-G. Uh, check it out. There's some good articles. Also, his YouTube page that we, we talked about, you can find that linked within uh, his website as well. <laughs> Lots of interesting videos. Some of them are humorous. Uh, just a good source, uh, again, of, of good apologetics information. So avail yourself of that. Now, guys, uh, <clears throat> this debate is surely not over. I know that there are many flat earth uh, uh proponents or believers who are listening to this podcast. Uh, by the way, I just want to say that uh, if at any time during this podcast 
we might have said something or the tone of our voices might have uh, reflected some kind of mockery or anything like that, I would I definitely apologize. That is not the intention of this podcast. That's not what I want to portray. I understand uh, that uh, I've, I've actually put a lot of time into watching a lot of these uh, flat earth videos. And now I'm seeing that this is fairly complex. There's a lot going on here. Uh, and it's going to take a lot of unraveling to get this thing uh, figured out. Okay, so I know uh, so many of you are saying, hey, we've already addressed this argument. We've addressed that argument. Hey, you didn't talk about this, that, or the other. Uh, I know, I know. There's a lot to talk about, and you got to admit that. So uh, anyway, we will come back to this subject. Uh, in fact, at the time of this recording, uh, I have uh, lined out another interview with a guest with some serious scientific chops, somebody who has been around, if you will, pun intended, and uh, we're going we're gonna to talk to him in a few podcasts. We're going to space this thing out. I don't want to bog anybody down because I know some of my listeners, they might be interested in the subject, but if I hit this over and over and over, they might feel a little bogged down. So we're going to take a step away from this subject for at least a couple podcasts, and then we'll come back to it and uh, hit it uh, at least once more. I'm feeling that uh, in the long run, I can see where I'm going to have to put many podcasts into this this realm of the flat versus spherical Earth. There's just a lot to talk about. So... Um, this isn't something that I'm going to be able to unravel overnight. That is for sure. There's a lot going on. And I admit that there, there's a lot of arguments that are put forth. And uh, I think some of them don't need to be addressed. Some of them really just don't sound very good. Others, though, seem to be pretty uh, uh, powerful and need to be dealt with. So anyway, be that as it may. I am going to stop right here, and uh, next week we'll pick up with a different subject. And with that, I love you guys, and we'll see you next week. Sing it out loud.